This morning, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. We're going to be reading from chapter 11. And as you see, the passage itself is fairly short. So instead of beginning with verse 11, I'm going to begin with verse 9 to give a little bit more of the context. In the very first part of this chapter of Luke, Jesus gives to his disciples the Lord's Prayer. And so this whole section is dealing with prayer, but we're going to focus in on the last part. Verse 9, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we're also going to be looking at the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 46, which has two questions. Again, I'll read the question and you're invited to respond in unison with the answer. Why did Christ command us to call God our Father? At the very beginning of our prayer, Christ wants to kindle in us what is basic. <laughs> we must have a different. Uh... Is that uh, Lord's Day 45? A different version. Okay, um, if I can read. <laughs> okay, uh, at, that at the very beginning of our prayer, he may awaken in us the childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be the motivation of our prayer, which is that God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask him in faith, then our human fathers will refuse us earthly things. Why is there added, who art in heaven? That we may have no earthly conception of the heavenly majesty of God, but that we may expect from his almighty power all things that are needed for body and soul.
church family, last week, Pastor Dave used the example of a mobile phone or a cell phone to challenge us in our prayer life. Just as family members and close friends receive the most calls from us on our cell phones, perhaps they're listed amongst our favorites, so also should God, our Heavenly Father, receive regular communication from us by means of prayer. Our prayers reveal how serious we are in our relationship with God. I, don't, I want you to make sure to get that. Our prayers reveal how serious we are in our relationship with God. John Calvin, when asked to define what prayer is, said prayer is an intimate conversation with God. A theologian by the names of Charles Hodge made this statement. He said, just as it is impossible to be alive and pulseless, so it is impossible to be a Christian and prayerless. So as children of God, prayer is the primary avenue through which we interact with God. The Heidelberg Catechism in the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 45, suggests that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. And that makes sense, doesn't it? That's how we communicate with God and how we show our thankfulness to him. So since we are God's children, we need to approach him as our heavenly father in prayer. And that's why Jesus taught and gave the example of the Lord's prayer as a model for all believers to follow. Now we're beginning our first section in looking at the Lord's Prayer, specifically the words, Our Father in Heaven, or as I grew up uh, saying, Our Father who art in Heaven, a little older way of, of saying it. This part of the prayer is called the prologue or the address. It identifies the closeness of our relationship with God and it reminds us all that we belong to this community of disciples who share together in Jesus Christ. So we can say that God is our Father. The Aramaic word is Abba. Now, unfortunately, many authors unfamiliar with that particular language misinterpret the word, and they, they say it means daddy. But in actuality, it combines a high level of respect for the relationship with the Father, along with a sense of closeness and intimacy and familiarity. Now, I wanted to share with you an example of how a father is close to a child. And I thought back to when I had graduated from high school and the church service was over. And as we were leaving church, a little boy reached up and grabbed my hand. And I looked at him and I thought, what's going on here? 
But then I looked a little closer and his dad was just ahead of me and we had exactly the same suit on. And I have to admit, back then it was a polyester suit. <laughs> anyway, he thought that I was his dad. We were actually about the same size as well, same color hair, so... You know, he probably didn't even realize it. He just automatically reached up and took my hand. And, and he held it for at least a minute. And I thought, well, I better not say anything. And suddenly, he looked up. I don't know if he was going to say something or whatever. And the panic on his face. I was like, who are you? I wasn't his dad. He was holding hands with a stranger. So he ran full speed to catch up to his dad and hid behind his dad in embarrassment. Now we know that children will go to their father for protection, for security, for provision. They inherently sense the authority of the position that the father has as the head of the home. And find comfort in his presence. The little boy at church wanted to hold his dad's hand because he was leaving church and perhaps he was a little bit frightened mingling with all of the different people. But when he discovered that he wasn't really holding his dad's hand, he was even more shocked and alarmed. He had shown to me, a stranger, a closeness and intimacy now, when we address God as our Father, we also are reminded of that implicit trust and comfort that a child finds in his or her Father. If you look at question and answer 120 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which was last week, it says, at the very beginning of our prayer, Christ wants to kindle in us what is basic in prayer. That is, the childlike awe and trust that God, through Christ, has become our Father. So, in his prayer, Jesus addresses God as Father. One author writes, Abba is a word used often, familiar, and it belongs to the relationship of a parent and child, especially a father. When used to address God, it implies complete trust and surrender to God as Father, which lends special significance to Jesus' use of the word in his prayer that he gives to the disciples. Jesus spoke to God like a child speaks to his father. That is, simply, inwardly, and confidently. Jesus' use of Abba in addressing God reveals the heart of his relationship with God. That's what prayer is about. It's a relationship that we have with God, and that is so essential in our prayer. So think of what Jesus is saying to you and to me. 
his disciples that we should address God as our Father. He's telling us that our prayers need to reflect a closeness and an intimacy with God. In our text, Jesus expands on that thought. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Indeed, we know a father would not do that. This morning we're going to look at three different things. First, the giver, then the gift, and then the recipients. And I promise they're going to be short. The giver in our text is God the Father. God's loving care as a father is contrasted with the love and care of an earthly father. We see first that our heavenly father transcends earthly fathers in his willingness to bless his children. Now, being an earthly father, it's amazing for me to even think about that. Once Diane and I became parents, I remember experiencing the powerful feeling of a, of a father's love for his child. I remember each one of our children holding them in the delivery room. I remember crying. I remember thinking how each one was a special gift of God. And, and I, as a father, sensed responsibility that I needed to provide for their well-being. I can even remember on several occasions commenting to Diane that if our children were ever in danger, my love and commitment to them is so strong, I'd literally be willing to die for them if the occasion warranted it. The two questions that Jesus asks brings out the deep love of an earthly father for his children. Now, of course, they're rhetorical questions, which if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Well, obviously, the answer to both of them is no father would deliberately endanger his child. A father wants the child to be enriched, to be cared for, to be protected, to be safe. So the very thought of exposing one of our children to a snake or a scorpion causes any father to shudder at the thought. Jesus goes on to make his point. He says, if you as earthly fathers, though you're born into sin because of Adam and his disobedience, have such a strong bond of love and care for your children, how much more God our Father wants to give us his blessing. So the Heavenly Father transcends earthly fathers in how he desires to bless his children. And then secondly, our Heavenly Father has a knowledge which earthly fathers don't have. 
We know that God has infinite knowledge and wisdom. We know that he created us. We know that he knows us completely. David says in Psalm 139, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's God our Father, the giver. He knows what we need. He gives us good gifts. They are perfectly suited to who we are and what we need in order to be formed and fashioned after the image of Jesus Christ. Now, as an earthly father, I can't do that. In fact, sometimes I misread the needs of our children, even now as they're adults. Sometimes I may not take them seriously when they really are serious. Maybe I'm so busy doing other things, trying to be a better pastor, that I'm neglecting to be a better father. But not so with God. His care for us is always sufficient and abounding because he has fashioned and created us and he knows us intimately. The giver. Number two, the gift. The gift that we're promised is the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we'll say when we, we, we look at a son, it's almost as if he has the same spirit as his earthly father, maybe a similar personality, the same disposition, temperament maybe, characteristics. In other words, you look at the son and you can actually see the father in the son's way that he walks, maybe in some of the facial features or mannerisms. When Jesus speaks of God giving his spirit to us, he means that God gives to us literally his own life. The Holy Spirit is part and parcel of who God is. God is who he is through the spirit. One theologian, W.A. Criswell, says, without the presence of the spirit, there is no conviction, no regeneration, no sanctification, no cleansing, no acceptable work. Life itself is found in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Truth in John 14. I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. So in his loving care and concern for us, God gives to us the Holy Spirit as one who will be close to us, who will guide us and direct us. He is the one who illumines our minds as we read God's word. The Holy Spirit teaches and leads, speaks to us through God's word, never apart from God's word. The gift of the Holy Spirit is often mentioned in the Bible, 
Sometimes it's referred to as a deposit or a guarantee. Paul says in Ephesians 1, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. One author says, Our Heavenly Father gives us the very source of all good things, the Holy Spirit himself. Imagine the very presence of God dwelling within our hearts and bodies. Once we have the Holy Spirit, we do not have to pray to God as if he is way out there somewhere in space. The Spirit is with us and is God's answer to our prayers. So we've looked at the giver, the gift, and now the recipients. The recipients of that gift of the Holy Spirit, we're told, are those who ask the Father for him. What Jesus is doing is he's encouraging his disciples to be persistent. In verses 9 and 10, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It's true, isn't it? Often as children, we, we turn to our Father for help. And sometimes, as I discovered a few years ago, even when a child is at college and running low on money, we ask Dad for help. If we have a big decision and we need someone's perspective, often we go to our Father. The same is true in our prayers. We pray sincerely for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and God says that he will answer that prayer. Have you asked for the Holy Spirit? God promises that he will give him. Now, sometimes, as recipients of God's gifts, our prayers aren't immediately answered. And often God's answer to our prayer is different than what we hoped for or what we wanted. Why do we need to ask? If God already knows what is best for us, if God is sovereign, if he has everything under control, why do we need to pray and ask? Well, prayer teaches us communication with God and fellowship with Him. It teaches us to trust Him as we seek after Him. And our Heavenly Father longs for that kind of relationship with us. Prayer also teaches us patience and hope. We continue to approach God in prayer because we know that He is faithful to His promises. Prayer inspires us to love God as our Heavenly Father at all times, not just once in a while when we bow our knees in prayer. We draw closer to Him, and we do it consistently through the avenue of prayer.
prayer demonstrates just how dependent we are upon God for everything in life and how thankful we are for his abundant provision. The Catechism goes on to point out the fact that God is in heaven. In question and answer 121 of the Catechism, it says that because God is in heaven, that's where he is seated, we can expect everything for body and soul from his almighty power. And what that says is that he will provide for us because he cares for us. He desires that we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ himself. But in order to receive, we need to ask. We need to be bold and confident as children of God as we reach out to hold our Father's hand who's in heaven intimately, trusting his ability to provide and to protect us and to care for us. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for a special relationship that we have, that as children, Jesus instructs us that we are to address you as our Father. And that word Father implies a relationship that is very deeply rooted. And we give you praise and thanks that you are a God who loves us so much and who cares for us in such a wonderful fashion. Lord, as we have begun this series on prayer, may we put that into practice as we become more and more aware of the importance of prayer and encourage one another to often call upon you. You are far more than our best friend or a relative. You are the one who knows us completely because you created us and you love us. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.